Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the President of the Listeners' Association speaking, the Reverend Dame Colonel Mrs. Whitewash OBE. <laughs> I have just emerged from negotiations on your behalf with the director of BBC Radio, and I'm afraid I must tell you that he is not prepared to grant we listeners, or large listeners, <laughs> the terms we asked for. Broadcasting in the 70s will continue. Did I hear cries of shame? No, I didn't think I did. Well, I tried. I gave him the Save the Third Program petition with a hundred signatures of Malcolm Muggeridge and Rennie Houston on it, but the BBC have been very cunning and made both Malcolm and Rennie, bless them, Radio One disc jockeys. Now they seem quite happy. Furthermore, the director says that there is absolutely no hope for the return of Dick Barton. Well, as you know, we've tried listening to Rule, and they didn't even notice, so... I'm afraid I'm left with no alternative but to call a strike of all you radio listeners. All those in favor, raise your right hands and bring them down in a vicious karate chop on your radios. <laughs> right, motion carried. All out, all out, you must stop listening from... Now! Right, stop listening. Have you stopped? Anyone who answers that is a black leg. Now I want you all to switch off and to make sure you won't be tempted to switch on again. For the next half hour, we'll be broadcasting this. We apologise for the quality of programme during the following sound, but we trust it will spoil your enjoyment. Of Tim Brooke Taylor, OBE, Graham Garden, OBE, David Hatch, OBE, Joe Kendall, OBE, and Bill Oddie, O D D I E. <laughs> they are all striking, and some are more striking than others, as they bring you the ultimate full frontal industrial deterrent. It's I'm sorry, I'll read that again, again. <laughs> Full frontal radio, let it all drop off. Boom. <laughs> right, are you still listening? Naughty, naughty. <laughs> well, I will let you off this time, but you must appreciate that this listener's strike can only succeed if you are completely solid. And if you're still listening to this, you must be. <laughs> anyway, I want you all to repeat after me. After me. Jolly good. Jolly good. Now. <laughs> Let us repeat the listener's oath. Nickel. Excellent. Now, 
Let us speak together the five revered principles for which we are striking. We believe that broadcasting in the 70s is wicked, immoral, and degenerate. And what is more... Although we know that the amount of articles about broadcasting in the 70s in the Sunday supplements and in the letters column of the Times, which most listeners don't take anyway, we still don't know what on earth it's all about. We want less Jimmy Clitheroe, if that's possible. Tony <laughs> Blackburn, more us, more money. Oh, what a giveaway. Less records, more music, even more money, and bring back Dick Bartle. We think that with each copy of the New Look Radio Times, they should give away a 3D magnifying glass. And we think radio is basically jolly good, but it would be a lot better if it had a little screen and pictures. Thank you. And now, on with the show. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hold everything. <laughs> now look, what's the, what's the point of us doing a show if there's no one listening? That's stupid, no, stupid. come on, come on, it's never stopped us before. No, it's no good. <laughs> I can't go on. Tim, you mustn't say that. Why not? It's my line. Oh, sorry. <laughs> It's no good. I can't go on. But the show must go on. Oh, yes. Somewhere out there, there must be someone listening. Even if it's just one little grey-haired old lady. Mummy! Can't you see her? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, I can. I can see her. Can Look, see her. it's time for her favourite radio programme. Yes, yes, yes. Her old eyes light up. Yes, yes, yes. Look at them light. She's hobbling over to her one a set. Yes, yes. Hobble, hobble. And hobble. she reaches out with her frail old hand. Oh, it's so frail. It's so frail. Look how frail it is. See, see. Look at her gnarled, wrinkled old fingers. Yes, yes, yes. I can see them gnarled and wrinkled. Yeah. Horrible. And she, she turns the radio off. Oh, yes, yes, yes. But, yes. There's nothing there. Oh, no, nothing. No one to speak to her. No, the radio no. is dead. Dead, dead. Not a sound. Not a sound. <laughs> do you want to say something to this little old lady? Yes, 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 I do. I want to say something to her. You've forgotten to plug it in, you silly old bat. The radio crew is hoping to close down now, but owing to an electrician strike, there is no one here to turn off the microphones. And we're not allowed to touch them, so we'll just have to go on. And on and on and on. So, to continue, here is a cooking hint. Oi, what about my dinner then, eh? <laughs> and now, it's recipe time. What the recipe today, treat you'll really appreciate. Take a packet of sandwiches and a flask of tea, pop into the oven between 10 and 12 a.m., and when the Jimmy Young show is over, you can come out. And now, we gather the strike is rapidly spreading, so let's immediately go over to the full frontal nudes room. With the radio listeners already on strike, the television viewers have also come out in sympathy and spots. <laughs> This has led to a slump in demand for radio and television sets, lower wages for broadcasting staff, and consequently a general broadcasting strike. The sale of gramophones has therefore gone up, 
but the Musicians' Union has banned the making of records. They are insisting on live music in the home, and redundant BBC symphony orchestras <laughs> are now available on hire to the general public from most labour exchanges. <laughs> Unfortunately, the musicians have objected to the cramped playing conditions of most domestic sitting rooms and have walked out. They have tried to get home, blocking the streets with their instrument cases, which has led to a strike of bus drivers, pedestrians and motorists. <laughs> this has caused congestion on the underground, which has closed down all escalators, thus causing a strike of bottom pinchers. <laughs> Lady travellers have therefore been making increasing demands on their husbands who, having to work longer hours, are demanding larger meals, which the shops cannot provide owing to the farming dispute. This has resulted in a strike of all housewives, including mothers, and in protest against the mother's strike, all babies have just crawled out. <laughs> the Prime Minister denies that the present situation is just a cunning ruse to win votes for the next election. He is at present enjoying a two-week strike in the silly aisles. And now, here is a newsflash. All newsreaders are now on strike. The BBC has called in the army to carry on. Oh, I shouldn't have told you that. I, I'm not a bag leg. Oh, I, I shouldn't have told you that either, actually. I, all right, you lot. All right. The army is now in charge. Pin back your little girls. Listening by numbers. Listen to... Wait for it. The news. Read by Sergeant Alec Boots, Queen's Own Sadist, Toby, Payrise and New Cop. <laughs> stop shuffling at 34 Pembridge Villas. And let your air grow. You look like a blasted skinhead, you great fairy. <laughs> right, here is an announcement of special interest to nurses and teachers. If you want more money, join the army. Learn to fire a lethal machine gun. Direct an air-to-air -air missile, deadly at a thousand miles. Throw your own H-bomb. Be a peacekeeper in the British Army. As advertised on television, which can't advertise cigarettes because they're too dangerous. <laughs> Of course, you know, the trouble with long-haired fellas today is they're too damn violent. Too violent. 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 Oh, yes. Spend too much time fighting and marching. Fighting and marching. Ought to put them in the army. That'd soon stop them fighting and marching. <laughs> You know, they're too damn soft. Ought to be beaten up more often. I'll help you, Bobby. Thank you, good lad. Oh, how I love the sound of a military drum. Why do you say that? I'm leading into a song. Oh, listen, there it is, right on cue. I love that sound. And the call of the bugle. My goodness, the band are working well tonight. Oh, the glory of battle, eh? The noise, the barricades, the trenches, the fighting, you know what I mean? War! No, cricket! <laughs> the fighting lads of the MCC, that's us, eh? Come along, lads, shoulder bats. we got to go out there and defend the 70 tour. MCC, fall in! Get up! Proudly we march with our heads in the sand, backward where England calls, calls, fighting the foe with a bat in our hand and a load of old cricket balls. Got to be 
doctor's head. The rest of the country can say what it likes. We don't care, cause we're dead. We are the lads of the MCC. MCC, a typical peaceful English cricket match. The sun was glinting on the barbed wire, the click of bayonets, and the MCC members were all fast asleep. Then they told us the invasion was coming. At first, we could only hear them bloodthirsty, violent cries of peace, anti-apartheid, <laughs> whoever she is. And <laughs> we saw them, long-haired fellas. Must have been, oh, four, five, half a dozen of them. <laughs> Armed to the teeth with flowers. <laughs> Before we knew what was going on, they viciously sat on the pitch. For what chance did we stand against them? It was just us, 11 six-foot South Africans and 3,000 policemen. But you know, we clubbed together. We fought them up. I'll never forget old slugger Van der Kopp. He drew back his bat and with a magnificent off-drive... Clouted Vanessa Redgrave out of the ground. <laughs> he got the OBE for that, you know. And <laughs> six runs. That was brighter cricket. Oh, no. <laughs> This is Jim here, and we're going to be leaping about TNT, PDQ, DDT, CDM, and OBE. Because it's time for us to present once again this week's Prune Play of the Week. But before we hear the play, surprise, surprise, uh, Jim's going to sing you one Jim-type song. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, we do apologize for that. We should have done it a long, long time ago. with us now to the 16th century, back to the court of kings, back to the age of elegance when men were men and women were grateful. Yes, <laughs> let us return to the days when England was under Henry VIII's reign and everyone carried umbrellas. <laughs> Henry VIII was a singular spectacle of a king. He was a monocle. Oh! Boom, boom, one in the eye. 
He stood six feet in his socks and his other two feet in his shoes. He was every inch a king and a great ruler. Our story begins on a day of great rejoicing. Who bloody right? An enormous crowd of people packed the streets of London so that nobody could move. So the streets were unpacked again and put back where they belonged. And the cause of all this excitement was that on this very day at Westminster Abbey, King Henry VIII was to be married for the first time. You take this king to be your lawful wedded husband. We, we do. <laughs> and you, Henry, take Catherine and Jane and Catherine and Catherine to be your lawful wedded wives. Mm, I do. <laughs> I now pronounce you king and wives. Hooray! And that night in the royal bedchamber. Oh, Henry, alone at last. <laughs> Oh, my own man. And Jane. And Catherine and Catherine. Oh, Henry! Oh, Catherine and Jane. Hang on, hang on. Just a minute, just a minute. Just a minute. Wait a minute, wait a minute. This can't be right. Surely he married these wives one at a time. I mean, good heavens, every schoolboy knows that. Well, we can soon find out. Is there a schoolboy in the audience? Yes, I'm a little schoolboy. All right, then, gig lamps. <laughs> Tell us about Henry VIII. Uh, Henry VIII, 1509, 1547, married his wives one at a time and during his reign set the pattern for the fabric of English life of the period. He was skilled in horsemanship and music, shipbuilding, theology, spoke three foreign languages and used ruthless clockcraft as a politician. Please, may I leave the room? <laughs> yes, push off, you pimply little swat. All right, then, let's get on with the story. Henry has married Catherine of Aragon, but he's not happy. Oh, Henry, I can see you are not happy. What's wrong? <laughs> My dear, we have been wed three years and we have no children. Can't you see? I must have a little son and heir. All right, we'll go to Butlins. <laughs> I have grown tired of you, Kate. I know, sire. You have been seen in the company of a certain young lady, Miss Anne Boleyn, so it is rumoured abroad. The rumours are right. She is abroad. <laughs> And so Henry divorced Catherine and married Anne Boleyn. Anne was a temptress, a seductive, sensual being, overflowing with animal passion and desire. So that all, so that all men felt irresistibly drawn to the warmth of her exotic, burning womanhood. Hello, sailor. But Henry's marriage to Anne was not popular, as he was to discover in a conversation with his trusted friend and advisor, Cardinal Sin, O.B.E. Look, your majesty heart. Would you be bothered if I had a little bijou word at in your ear? What's your problem, Cardinal? I should have thought that was obvious. <laughs> anyway, anyway, Your Majesty, pet me and my friend don't like your choice of a queen. Then which queen should I choose? Ah, you the cheeky one. But we think you should get rid of Anne and marry somebody nice. You know, nice. You know, like, nice. I will not hear the Queen's slandered, sir. But, Your Majesty Poppet, the Queen is not popular. The people mutter against her. Against her, against her, against her. Enough, Cardinal. Hold your peace. Mmm. <laughs> if you speak once more against Anne Boleyn, I shall have you hand-drawn and quartered, chop off your arms and legs, boil you in oil, pull your head off and stick you on the railings outside the palace. 
All right, as long as it doesn't tickle. <laughs> Aren't I cardinal? And so Cardinal Sin trumped up his own evidence. But he wasn't badly hurt. And so Anne Boleyn was tried for being unfaithful to the king. You can't accuse me of being unfaithful to the king. As Queen of England, I have a divine right. And my left's not so bad either. <laughs> This joke is a valuable antique. It is, in fact, on loan from the Tony Blackburn collection. Your Majesty, you have been found guilty. You will be taken to the Tower of London where you will be charged. Five bob entrance. And the beef eaters will bore you to death. Next morning, Anne Boleyn was taken to the Tower where she knelt on the scaffold. The executioner raised his axe high in the air, and then... Sorry! <laughs> that night, the king rode up river to Hampton Court. It took a long time, because his horse couldn't swim. <laughs> when he got there, he found Cardinal Sin waiting for him. Your Majesty, Hen, I've got another wife for you, Miss Jane Seymour, a commoner. Oh, Mr. Kingdom. Well, they don't come any commoner than that. Do you? Oh, executioner! <laughs> Sorry. And the next, please. Oh, bother. I haven't got any more wives lined up for you, Your Majesty, sweetie. Oh, dear. In that case, I shall shut my eyes, count up to ten, and when I open my eyes, I shall marry the first woman I see. One, two, three, four, five... Six, seven, eight, nine... I made it! I made it! I made it! Oh, you lucky man! Ten! No, too late. I'm here. What is it? It's only little me. All right, big me. I am Lady Anne of Cleavage. Come closer, you naughty monarch, and let me beguile you with my womanly charm. Not so fast, madam. Don't worry, I'll take my time. <laughs> madam, you don't want to marry me. I am old and fat and ugly with a bad leg. Oh, we were made for each other. <laughs> take her away and cut off her head. Oh, what for? Oh, it might just improve her appearance. <laughs> and so she was taken away to the tower. Cardinal Sin was finding it more and more difficult to provide Henry with a wife. And eventually, he had to put an advert in the papers. Intelligent and attractive girl required for temporary position with middle-aged ruler. No experience necessary, but must have a good head for cutting off. Apply to King Henry VIII, post office box 13, and bring your own Christmas speech. Immediately, the advert was answered by the girl who was to become his next wife. Catherine Howard. Hey, no, what? Oh, oh no. Yes, hey. <laughs> I should say, oh, your majesty. No, no, don't laugh. They're not doing, are they? <laughs> no, don't titter. Yes, yes, <laughs> like it. Shh. Oh. Next, the king married Catherine Parr. 
At first, they were happy together. But before long, the king was feeling below par, so he got rid of her. Once again, the king was alone, and now he was growing an old man. He watered him every day. And then, one morning, as he was pruning him, a strange thing happened. Henry had a vision. The earth seemed to tremble and shake. A huge, dark shape blotted out the sun, and a voice spoke to him. Oh, a second chance! I shall stay with you forever. Madam Cleavage, but I sent you to the tower. How did you escape? I am a woman. I reached an agreement with the executioner. You mean he agreed to let you go because you promised to make love to him? No, because I promised not to. <laughs> what do you want with me, madam? Uh, no. <laughs> I am the lawful queen, and I shall reign beside you. Oh, no, you won't. Oh, yes, I... Who are you? Catherine of Aragon, I am still legally married to Henry. No, push off. I want to be queen. Ladies, there must be some way to settle this. I have a plan, a list, sire. Yes? List, sire. If I list any more, I'll fall over. <laughs> but soft, your majesty. If I list any more. <laughs> I propose that of Cleavage and I fight a duel at tomorrow's tournament, and the winner shall be queen. Yeah. Then so be it. And so be it. At the royal tournament next day, the herald made the announcement. Was as follows. Cerusis of the liver beat his opponent, Sir Feet of Lampreys. Subtle historical joke in the final round by two pinfalls, one submission, and killing him. I know you're all good sports, so let's have a big hand for the deceased. Hey, uh, thank you. And now, the next contest. In the red corner, at eight stone, three pounds, Her Majesty Queen Catherine of Aragon. And in the blue corner, at fifteen hundred weight, I give you your own, your very own, and there's enough to go round. Twice, Lady Anne of Cleavage. I think you. Seconds away, round one. And what a fight it was. Both women, clad head to toe in shining armor, stood for a moment glaring at each other, and then they sprang. Oh. <laughs> on they fought. Lady Anne threw Queen Catherine with an incredible cross butter. Oh, I'm livid in my little body voice. <laughs> Queen Catherine gave her a mighty blow on top of the head. Oh! And knocked her out. Lady Anne fell to the ground. Oh. And so, Catherine became Queen of England. 
And as for the Lady Anne, she lay where she fell, an enormous heap of scrap metal. <laughs> and there she stayed for hundreds of years, until one day, a passing stranger woke her with a kiss. Oh, 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 you handsome brute, you. Who are you that have woken me from my slumber so young, so strong and handsome? Oh, you gorgeous creature in your flying black coat with your fiery steed and chariot. Who are you? Speak to me. Here, Aaron, look what I found. been listening to an Elizabethan serenade. The part of serenade was played by Tim Rook Taylor, Graham Gard and David Hatch, Joe Kendall and Bill Oddie. Serenade was produced by David Hatch and Peter Titheridge and Mrs. Nade. The Jolly Jess were penned by Graham Garden, Bill Oddie and Eek, Joe Kendall. Bill Oddie wrote the music for the lute. The court musicians were Dave Lee and the boys. The airs were arranged, what few he has left, by Leon Cohen. <laughs> Next week, we'll all be back. Same time, same place, same jokes. Until then... It's I'm sorry, I'll read it again, again. Bye, <laughs> money on plant protection supplies now at menards defend your garden with triazicide insect killer its fast-acting formula protects lawns vegetables and many other plants it kills more than 260 insects by contact above and below ground choose from ready to spray concentrate or granular save big money on triazicide insect killer at menards and check out our weekly flyer on menards.com for all the great deals happening now save big